Welcome to Contingency FM. Today we're going to be talking all about prioritization with me, your host, Hamida Ahmed, and our special guest, Dr. Phil White. Thank you so much for having me on today, Hamida. Thanks for being here, Dr. Phil. Um, so let's get started on prioritization. We've got a PowerPoint to accompany this podcast, so every time you hear this tone, I want you to switch the slide, okay? Today, our aims are to understand the importance of effective prioritization and communication in the clinical environment. Obviously, this is quite a practical skill, but we want to kind of highlight the main principles of these skills, um, which you're going to be using day in, day out on the wards when you start. Our objectives are going to be to devise a jobs list using the principles of prioritization, and we've got some tasks set up for you guys to do that. Um, you're going to be interpreting some test results and taking the next appropriate action. And we're going to discuss the principles of effective handover and escalation to a senior colleague. Our first intermission, this is the joke of the day at number one. Uh, this is something I came up with when I was seven. I'm very, very proud of it. It's on my CV. Uh, what do you call a sleeping bull? What do you call a sleeping bull, Phil? Uh, a bulldozer. Hmm. One for the ages, that, Phil. Thank you for sharing. Sorry. Our first slide, I want you guys to take a pause at this point and have a think about how do we prioritize what we do as clinicians? What kind of structures or frameworks can you use to order your tasks in a way that makes you do the most urgent things first um, or the most important things first? I've kind of come up with two models, and I think Phil would agree that we, we use a bit of a combination of these two in practice, right? Yeah, absolutely, Himida, and it's something I think that as you get, grow and experience, you'll find what works and you'll develop these sort of things a bit more instinctively rather than having to think through them as much. For sure. So the first one that we've got here is um, a model that bases um, your prioritization of tasks on the impact that that task will have versus how doable it is. So essentially it means that the more impactful things that are quite easy to do are the things that you might rate as higher priority options. Mm. So some examples of that would be maybe um, ordering a, an x-ray, um, pretty doable, and um, the impact that that will have for clinical um, decision-making will be pretty high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we've got other things that might be quite easy to do, but maybe not have as much of an impact. So um, discharge letters might be quite mm. easy to do. They're still very important, but in the immediate setting may, may not be as impactful um, as some other things. But those are the kind of jobs that you can fill in and that you can do um, when, when you don't have a lot of other urgent things piling yeah. up. Yeah, so responding to, for example, a acute clinical situation might be something which has... Uh, uh, an important uh, high impact and uh, is very ready to do um, whereas uh, for example um, I can't think of an example I mean, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> I it's I hard. don't know where I was going with it <laughs> well we get you get some of some other tasks that might be really hard to do and maybe not have as much of an impact as what you're hoping yeah. for and that's what we might call the hard slogs um, so they're going to require a lot of resources, human or mm -hmm. otherwise, um, and may not have as big of a payoff. So you might have to think about how how urgent or how necessary yeah. those are to do. Cleaning the office. That's a terrible example. That's a terrible example, but I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Um, 
So moving on to the next model, which I think we both use more frequently in practice, is um, rating things depending on their urgency and their importance. So for example, the things that are really urgent and very important are the things that you will want to do immediately. Um, I would say in my personal practice, those would be, for example, if I had a patient who had an acute abdomen and mm. I needed to get an urgent CT abdo pelvis for them, yep. um, that's really important and needs to be done in mm -hmm. a timely fashion. So I would do that immediately. Yeah, definitely. Um, what kind of things would you delegate, Phil? Uh, so it kind of depends on my responsibility level and sort of as, as an F1, the things I would be delegating uh, may include, for example, I had three urgent cases to see uh, and there's another F1 on call. I might ask them to go and see sort of the least sick sounding one. Mm -hmm. um, another example might be if there's a job that I know that a nurse could do. So for example, a ABG that needs to be done to check to see how someone's doing with type 2 respiratory failure uh, on, on BiPAP or something and I know that the respiratory nurses can do it, mm -hmm. then I might ask them to, to do that if I'm very busy. Absolutely. So we're going to have a, a little chat about delegation in a bit, um, but definitely remember that you've got a team and you've got people out there to help you. Um, there's some things that might be quite important to do, but maybe the urgency isn't as high. Um, so those are the kind of things you want to pop in a diary and make a note of um, and you can get around to them when things get a little um, less busy. Um, and then our last um, things to consider are things that aren't as urgent and maybe aren't as important. I think these kind of tasks beg the question of, um, can I delay this? Can we do this at another time? Or mm. actually, mm. are they necessary yeah, yeah. to do it all? Absolutely. Um, do, you, do you just have to dump it, actually? Yeah. Actually, a, a, yeah. an on-call example that I get asked to do a lot is, for example, somebody has been on beta blockers um, before their admission to hospital, and they've been in hospital for two weeks now and mm. not been on their beta blockers. Their OBS are stable, their heart rate is um, normal, and then somebody asks you to review if they need their beta blockers. That's is it important? Example. Is it urgent? No, to either both mm -hmm. of those things. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something that I would um, say needs to be reviewed maybe by the day team or even by the GP on discharge, yeah. but doesn't need to be done as an urgent on-call task. Yes, definitely. So the next thing we're going to talk about is when to say no. Um, and I think as medics, we tend to be people who like to help out where we can and can often forget our limitations. Um, and I think it's a really important skill that I've learned and I think you've learned over the years, Phil, mm -hmm. knowing when to say actually this is what I've got on yeah, my plate absolutely. now and I need to focus absolutely. on this. Yeah. Um, so I want you guys to have a think about, uh, I'll just, just pause this slide for a second and have a think about how you would say no if you're faced with a situation where you're being asked to do more than what you're able to handle at that moment. So what kind of things would you say? How would you phrase it? What kind of things are you considering when you are telling your colleague, actually, not right now? So... Some of the ways that I've learned to say no over the years are, for example, if I'm on call um, and somebody's asked me to write a load of um, IVT prescriptions and review some analgesia and then there's a couple sick patients to review, um, I think it's really important to know that the nurses are able to make a list for you of the non-urgent tasks. So you could ask them, could you please make a list of non-urgent tasks and I'll get around to it as soon as possible. I think that really does free up your time to Absolutely, sort of yeah. focus on the bigger jobs. Do you use this as well, Phil? Yeah, practice? especially if I know that it's just me on call uh, on a night or that uh, if a colleague's sick, then I'll often go around the wards first and just tell them uh, that I'll be busy uh, and that I might not be able to respond immediately so if they could leave non-urgent things and I'll 
promise will come around at some point. Absolutely. And I think that's a good example of being proactive and making sure your team is aware of the situation mm. um, and it will make your on-call a lot easier. Yeah. Um, another example of how to say no is, uh, unfortunately, I don't have time at the moment. Could you please bleep another F1, an SHO or a reg if it's urgent? So like I said before, remember that you've got a team at your disposal. It, sometimes it might feel like you're alone, but you're never really alone. Um, and if something needs to be done urgently, um, those team members can be contacted if, if need be. Yeah. Um, and then another thing is um, sometimes you'll be faced with tasks that you don't really feel comfortable performing or that you've not been trained in. And it be can be quite a difficult situation to actually step back and say, mm, I'm not quite happy doing this. I think it's really important to take the advantage um, of the situation and say, I'm sorry, I'm not trained in this or I don't feel comfortable performing this task. Would you be able to supervise me? Um, this allows a senior to talk you through the procedure and it means that next time you get asked to do this, um, you might actually be comfortable and ready to do it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we're just going to have a quick music break. Check out Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root. It's a fairly classic song and we recognise it from Matilda and Ice Age. So we want you to get up out of your seats, uh, move, get some fresh air, get a drink and join uh, us after to this. Party to this little tune. Mm. That was uh, inspirational. That was wonderful. You and I had a little dance. We did have a little dance, dance break, party, didn't we? silent dance party right I there. I hope yeah. you guys at home did too. Right, so our next slide is all about recognizing when you need help. Phil, what do you? What can you tell about yourself when you know that you're getting to a point when you need help? Um, normally, I think I find myself uh, finding myself very difficult to make decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, I find myself um, maybe looking at my jobs sheet and feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. um, I feel like I slowed down I stop being able to prioritize I stop being able to th recognize what's most important to mm -hmm. do and I start just working in list in order of what needs to be done Absolutely. Um, and I think that 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 higher level processing goes away mm -hmm. really you go revert straight back to just yeah. the most basic things, Yeah, right? like the most basic, absolutely, yeah. Mm. I know for me, when I'm huffing and puffing a lot, when I'm doing a lot of, then I know I'm getting a bit overwhelmed. Um, I completely agree when I'm starting to make poor decisions mm. um, or if I'm not concentrating as well. And also when I feel my memory going, that's usually mm. when I, I recognize yeah. that I need help. But it did take me a while to recognize mm. that. And I have to say, as an F1, I did try to take it all on board and, mm. and didn't ask for help very much mm. and over the years that is one of the biggest skills that I find the most useful in practice mm. being able to say actually you know what I'm a bit overwhelmed can you come and help me yeah um, so we're gonna go through some um, examples of, of how to ask for help because I think that in itself is quite a tricky skill mm. um, our next slide here I've just written that sometimes other people will tell you that you need help yeah. um, and I think it's really important to absolutely to yeah them. I think sometimes we're the last people to realize that we need help mm -hmm. you kind of lose that overview yeah. of yourself um, so take it on board it can be uncomfortable to hear sometimes but in the end it's for the greater good mm. so so ways to ask for help we briefly touched on delegation mm. on a previous slide so it's important to ask yourself is there anyone else who can do a particular job for you and is there anybody who might be better at doing a particular job? 
Um, so for example, I know that sometimes I get asked to do things that I, the reg or the, um, when I was an F1, the SHO could do a lot quicker than I could. Yeah. Um, and I think you're completely within your right to ask them for a bit of support yeah. there. Yeah. And I guess also just on that note, just a quite a practical tip, mm. uh, is when you're taking bloods, mm. um, obviously, you know, the, there's an element to which the buck does stop with you as a doctor, but e- even so, I think as an F1, I had a rule of, of, um, uh, I'd try three times, and if I couldn't get it after three times, uh, to recognise that my chance of getting it after that decreases mm-hmm. uh, significantly. So mm-hmm. it's actually just for the patient's sake, for my sake, uh, I need to actually ask someone more senior, more experienced to be able to do that. For sure. Um, and that actually feeds in really nicely to our next slide. Mm. We're going to talk a little bit about um, appropriate delegation and the delegation process. So what you were describing there, Phil, I think fits into the category of choosing an appropriate person mm. um, to do a task for you. So once you do choose a task that you feel would be suitable for delegation, I think it's really important to be aware of the team that you've got at hand, what their skills are. I think it's really easy um, to think that everybody's at the same level or that, for example, all nurses can do the same things yeah. or that all regis can do the same things. That's actually not the case. Some people will be better at some yeah. things naturally. Um, so know your team and know their limitations as much mm. as you know yours. Um, and once you've chosen an appropriate person, then set a clear objective yeah. and a plan as to what you need doing and when you need it doing. Yeah, it's amazing how um, how easily someone can get completely the wrong end of the stick if you don't give them a very clear uh, objective uh, and idea, um, really lay out exactly what you want doing. Absolutely. There's been times where, for example, I get bloods handed over to me, like, please chase this ABG. And I didn't ask, well, what do you want me to do after I've gotten it? Who do I need to tell? What do I need to, um, you know, prescribe or mm. order? And I think it's really important when you do get a job that you know exactly what it is you've been asked to do. Yeah. Um, the next slide that we've got is how to get help. So you're going to be faced with situations, um, as I'm sure you've had some experience with in your ATE scenarios and maybe even on the wards, where you get to the end of what you can do and you mm. need someone else there. Yeah. It is a skill getting someone else there physically mm. with you, isn't it, Phil? Definitely. So what can you tell I'm someone to get them? <laughs> what can you tell someone to get them to come and help you? I want you guys to take a minute and think about what kind of words you would use to get someone to come and help, what kind of things you'd want to highlight, how to grab people's attention, um, and then we'll come back in a minute. There is a concept of something called graded assertiveness. Phil, have you ever used this in practice? Can you talk us through this? I haven't. Sorry. (laughs) Well, well, I probably back to me then. <laughs> I, I, I probably have, but I can't think of anything on the on the spot. Well, let me teach you but something. I think today, I'm just Phil. naturally very assertive. Personality. Phil is naturally very assertive, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you something, cool. and hopefully teach, you teach, guys at home t- learn today. me a thing. I'm gonna learn you a thing. So there is something that we call the pace model. Um, so this is used very much in human factors training, and human factors, as you know, is all about minimizing the risks of the things that we get wrong as people, just because of the fact that we're human. Um, So starting with asking for help, you always want to probe and gain someone's attention and and raise a concern. So for example, um, you you want to identify someone that you're going to ask for help and tell them why it is you need them to help you. 
Then, if they've still not come to help, you want to repeat your concern, maybe raise your volume. After that, if they're still not there, you want to challenge them a little bit, challenge their decision. And if you get to a point where you're still um, in need of help and nobody's come, then you need to think about getting face-to-face contact with that person Mm. um, or escalating. Absolutely, yeah. So we've got a a little example here. Um, I want you to imagine that you are the F1 on call, um, maybe for a surgical ward, and you've been asked to chase an urgent CT abdopelvis. You've just gotten a chest x-ray back for one of the patients, um, but you've not had the time to review it. Uh, it's also in the back of your mind that you've got some antibiotics mm-hmm. to prescribe. Um, somebody's family's coming in and you don't know how long that chat is going to last. Uh, you've just managed to get your MRCP report in um, and look at it and tell the consultant and you're waiting on some instructions of what to do. You've also got some bloods and someone's hounding you to do discharge letters. Goodness me, what a day. What a day. Not going to lie, not uncommon. Yep. So if you were the F1 and you were maybe speaking to your SHO about getting some help with your tasks, you're, you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, you might start by saying, I'm worried that I'm falling behind with my jobs. Are you free to help, please? What does your SHO say, Phil? Uh, I'll be there in a minute. And in a minute, he's still not there. So you call him back and you say, I'm concerned that I'm not going to be f- able to finish my jobs on time. Could you please help me? So this is a little bit more direct. Mm. Um, you've used a word like concerned, which I think is good at getting people's attention. Yeah. Um, and then he's still not there. So at this point, I would suggest naming the person, knowing that it's specifically them that you're asking for help. I need you to help with these urgent tasks. I'm worried about patient the patient's safety. And I think patient safety is another one of those buzzwords, isn't it, Phil? Yeah, it definitely. I think it people's ears up. Mm-hmm. If at this point you still haven't got any help and you're feeling more and more overwhelmed, this is the point at which you would want to consider escalating to someone else. So I'm not able to complete these tasks on my own. I'm going to contact the registrar for help. Cool. Oh, we've got a uh, second joke of the day. Uh, so this time uh, Hamida's uh, got one for us. So uh, go for it. So what is the difference between a dirty bus stop and a lobster with big breasts? Uh, what is the difference, Amida? Well, Phil, one of them is a crusty bus station, and the other one is a busty crustacean. Uh, that was a uh, reference Andy Mellon uh, at the team meeting yesterday at 2020. Shao Andy Mellon. So the next thing that we're going to be talking about is making a jobs list. This is, I think... It sounds very simple, doesn't it, Phil? Uh, it does sound very simple. Why is it not simple? Oh, is it simple? It, it is simple, it is. but it's something that takes a lot of practice to yeah, get to right. Yeah, to get a good one. And get efficient, yeah, right? Definitely. This is our bread and butter, isn't it, as doctors? Absolutely. If you don't have a jobs list, then what are you even, wh- doing? Are you even doing? What are you even doing? So uh, what I would suggest that um, you always have on your person is a pen, a black pen, and a patient list. So come in in the morning, make sure you've got your patient list ready for yourself and the team um, and have it with you at all times. Don't lose this because you will have that pre-handover panic of where's my job list, where's my handover? It's it's worth being aware of which pockets you put it in. Like I I think uh, my... It always finds its way out my back pocket. Whenever I'm walking, I don't know what it is. I, I've lost a, a number of jobs lists, have, having pa- panicked sort of five minutes before handover, running around the hospital trying to find it. Trying to trace it yeah, down again. Uh, so uh, probably keep it somewhere safe, whether that's uh, if you know your front pocket's more secure or um, yeah, just keeping it in your hand at all times, uh, not just leaving it down on the surface. Yeah, very easy to leave it on a yeah. desk. Um, the next thing is you're going to be 
given a lot of jobs uh, very quickly, especially on ward rounds. Um, you might have seen surgical ward rounds and you know how quickly they, mm -hmm. they happen. Um, and this is the case on many other different wards. So make a note of the jobs as they are given to you. It's very easy to think that you will remember everything, but a lot of the time, um, these things, the little things will just slip yeah. through. Yeah, write everything you down. down. You've got to write everything down. Write yeah. it down, at least for the beginning. And then once you feel a little more comfortable, um, that can be, you know, less less of a hard and fast rule. Um, the other thing I would say is have a system of making a note of the jobs and how far you are with jobs. Yeah. What system do you use, Phil? Well, I think I've seen various systems on different wards. Um, I think the best ones have been where we've all worked together as a team. So we've had our own patients and jobs relating to the patients, but all the jobs have been written in one book uh, rather than having individual lists. Um, and then what that allows is that you can actually visually very easily see what other people's workload is. And if you finish early because your patient's aren't as complex, for example, um, then it means that you can help out someone else very easily. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is a much better way of working than having individual lists. Absolutely. So when you've got a team, use a jobs book. A lot of wards will have one there already. Mm -hmm. If not, maybe think about getting one for your ward. Yep. It just needs to be a, a blank notebook that you can all write in and that you keep in a secure office um, to protect patient confidentiality. Mm -hmm. uh, make a list of all the patients on the ward in each bed um, and a list of the jobs. On a previous slide, um, I had that mock uh, list of jobs, and you might have seen that I used the box system. Yeah. That's something that we use quite commonly, I would say. Yeah. Um, it's a common language between clinicians. So if you have a job, make an empty box, then put a diagonal line across it when mm -hmm. you're halfway through, maybe shade in one half. If it's a scan that you've maybe looked at and not acted on the results yet, then maybe shade in half, and then mm -hmm. once everything's complete, fully shaped in the box. Yeah. Um, and then I would say it's important to get your prioritization right. And sometimes you need to have a full overview of what it is you need to do before you can do that. Mm -hmm. So have all your list um, and then prioritize what you're going to do first. And as the very urgent, very important things come, slot those at the top, get those done, and then you can continue on with the other jobs. Yeah. So SBAR... That's our... Yeah, I, I think we, we, we talk about SBAR a lot. I, I don't want to patronise anyone mm. with sort of going into it, but um, I think if, if, you're not, if you're not confident in SBAR, the best thing is to, um, uh, to practice uh, timing yourself, uh, maybe going back over any patient histories you have written down somewhere mm -hmm. and getting yourself to, to speak those out in less than a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I've told people before, is to have a timer in front of you to get it in less than a minute. Absolutely. You don't want to be spending too long on your handover. Um, you can find some cases online, maybe practice with a friend and just see if you can get across the most important yeah. bits in a nice, slick fashion. Um, but you will be using SBAR all the time yeah. as an F1. Um, bleeps are something that are worth talking about um, when you guys start your induction, whenever that will be. Um, each, system, each hospital will have its own system for contacting you as doctors. Mm. Your bleep is what you're going to be using yeah. to, to be contacted and to contact your seniors. So it's important that you know yeah. how I, to use it. I those. wonder if it's just worth uh, in the possibility that you get deployed in Sunderland and South Tyneside. It's worth maybe just quickly outlining how you do it at Sunderland. I'll mention South Tyneside. Mm -hmm. So the Sunderland bleep system, it's actually the bleep that you're seeing on your screen now. Um, it's got a little window um, that shows you the time and any numbers that are bleeping you and it's got two buttons a red and a blue one when you get a bleep 
somebody will pick up a phone that's connected to the main line um, and they will literally just type in a five digit number which you will find on the black back of your bleep so for example the surgical SHO bleep that I carry is the number 52164 so anytime anybody dials that from a phone in Sunderland I get a bleep through um, the what will happen is that the phone that they've bleeped me from the number of that phone will flash across the screen so I just need to pick up another phone, dial the number that's on my screen, and then I'll get through to that person. So it's important when you bleep someone, don't leave the phone that you've bleeped them from, otherwise they're gonna be very frustrated with you. Um, and keep a track of the numbers that bleep you because it only has a memory for five numbers. So mm -hmm. if you're getting more than five bleeps, you'll, you'll lose um, yeah, who's called you. Good, good shout. Um, from a South Tyneside point of view, it's slightly different. Um, so if you want to bleep someone, then you have to go to a phone uh, press in one two three four that activates the bleep system. Uh, then type in the uh, bleep that you want to send it to. So if mine's two three six, so if I want to bleep my, myself, it would be two three six. And then you press zero one, which tells is as like a stop code. And then you type in the number of the phone that you're ringing from. So if that's like two nine three four. So I would do one two three four, two three six the bleep zero one stop code, and then uh, two three nine six, which would be the phone I'm ringing from. And then someone will call me back. So um, if you've got any questions, any concerns, feel free to email us. Um, we'll be able to pick those up. Um, and the next part of this session is the tasks um, that we've set for you to try and uh, practically use some of the skills that we've talked about in this um, presentation. Absolutely. Um, just one last comment. Uh, I did look up that Timothy guy. What's his name? Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, he does look like Timothy Chalamet, doesn't he? I think yeah. so. So this is one of my favourite paintings. It's in the Louvre. It's David and Goliath. And uh, the the main David character, he looks like Timothy Chalamet. Mm. Call me by your name. Watch out. It's a great so movie. So this has been Radio... What was it? Contingency, Contingency FM. FM. With your hosts. Uh, Hamida and Phil. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Stay tuned for bloopers. Welcome to Contingency FM, the online radio... <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? And our special guest, guest Mr. Phil... Oh, f***s up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start from the Trading top. Again. Right. Um, and it is something that... that I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> well, Can it's, I start it's this a, slide again? Yeah, absolutely. Do your thing. <laughs>